I'm glad to be sick uh, this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Uh, we'll get through verse 12 today in the text. This is what it says. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who, are, who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death works in us, but life in you. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for opportunities like this, days like this, for the truth uh, to shine forth, not just in song, not just in proclamation, but in living for you. God, I thank you for what you have taught me uh, already this morning uh, through this text and through your sovereignty in my life. I thank you for these invaluable lessons, and I pray uh, that, that, that I will not quickly move on from these lessons uh, to something else, um, but that these truths that you communicate to our hearts, to my heart, will change me forever and, uh, and draw me and grow me uh, closer to you all the time. And we pray today as we study your word that you will, by your Spirit, teach uh, speak to us, remind us of things we've already been taught, and convict us of our sins. Uh, God, I pray that Jesus will be seen clearly uh, today, and that lives will be changed, and that you will get all the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, at the beginning of the text last week, uh, the text started with the word therefore. I told you that's an important word that connects the text to the text that was before it. Uh, this week's text starts with the word but, which is also a conjunction, a connecting word that connects this, these verses with the verses before it. And so I want to remind you about some of the things that Paul had told us last week, specifically starting in verse 5. Look what he says. He says, For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants or your slaves for Christ's sake. For God said, for God who said, Light shall shine in darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he talks about this wonderful thing, and then he says, But he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the treasure that he speaks about there is the surpassing value of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He talks about this great thing. He talks about how he preaches not himself, uh, but Christ as Lord, himself only as a slave. He talks about the glory of the majesty of the gospel. And then he says, but we have this treasure, this thing of infinite value and infinite worth and infinite hope. We have this treasure in a clay pot. Some of your translations say it that way, right? We have this treasure not in a, in a, a chest of mahogany, uh, not in a titanium vault. We have it in a clay pot. And there Paul is talking about himself. He's talking about all of us, that we are the ones who contain this treasure of infinite value, but we contain it in a clay pot. And the picture he's painting there is twofold. One, I believe he's talking about the little clay lamps that would often be used in Paul's day. A little lamp about, about this big that would be filled up with oil and had a little wick sticking out of one end. And those little clay pots could be bought for basically nothing at the market. But those little clay pots and the light that shone forth from them made all the difference in someone's house. 
all the difference in a dark house where there is no electricity, right? That one little light shines in the dark house and gives light to the whole house. But the, but the lamp itself is of little worth. However, the light makes all the difference. Another image he's playing off of here is just a, a clay pot in general that people would buy and use for all sorts of reasons. Uh, they could be used for honorable uses in worship to carry important things. They could be used for dishonorable uses uh, at your home to carry waste to and fro. Those pots basically were worth very little, and what was inside them made them important or unimportant. Sometimes people would take their most valuable possessions, silver and gold and family heirlooms, and they would hide them in these unassuming clay pots, and they would bury them out in the field so that even if someone came across the clay pot in the field, they wouldn't think it was anything interesting. They would just pass on by because it's just a normal clay pot. In fact, a lot of people believe that's what Jesus is talking about in the Gospels when he says a man found a treasure hidden in a field, that he was plowing that field and came across one of these clay pots that people would use. And people really did use them. You know, not too many years ago, we made a great discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. All of these ancient scrolls, these texts of scripture of Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of these old, old historical texts, you know what they were housed in? Clay pots. You know how they found them? Little kid was walking in the desert, tending his sheep, and he came across a cave and threw a rock into that cave, and he heard a crash. He heard something break, and he went back into that cave, and there were dozens of clay pots filled with these invaluable, invaluable ancient texts of Scripture, and it was a glorious thing. It was an absolutely glorious thing. We also uh, hear stories about times of war when we didn't have email and we didn't have the internet and correspondences needed to go back back and forth from the front lines to the headquarters and sometimes they would send them in these special satchels where it was clearly an important communication that was going back and forth but when there was a very very important and very sensitive communication they would often just put it in a normal envelope and put it in the mail and send it so that no one would think it was anything special and attack it and that's basically the picture that Paul is saying here he says we have this thing that is of the utmost importance and instead of God putting it in a mahogany chest or a steel vault or some kind of ornate pot he puts it in a normal clay pot and Paul says that's all I am that's all I am I'm nothing important I'm nothing special I'm just a clay pot prone to break prone to uh, be crushed, prone to be sold for pennies. But within me, I have the most valuable message in the world. And that's what he says. Look, what it, look at the way he describes it in the text. He says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. God knows what he's doing when he puts his treasure away, right? God knows what he's doing when he puts his treasure away because if he put his treasure in something special, the something special that contained it could, could begin to think it was something special and try to take the glory for itself. But rather, God puts his treasure in a clay pot so that it will show that whatever power there is, whatever greatness there is, doesn't come from the container. It comes from the message that is inside it. I heard Adrian Rogers one time at a Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. In fact, I think it was the last time he addressed the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole. He told this story about the, the triumphal entry. And how as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, everyone was cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they were waving palm branches, right? And they laid their coats on the ground, right? So that as Jesus entered, he would be given great respect. And you know what he was riding as he entered? The donkey, right? Now, how ridiculous would it be for that donkey to think that all of that celebration was for him? right? It wasn't for him. It was for the one he was carrying. And so often we forget that we're just the donkey. 
right? We forget that we're just the ones carrying the message, that we are not the special ones. We are not the valuable ones. Rather, he is the valuable one. He is the special one. And the message is to get all of the credit. There are three things we learn from this first verse. Number one is this. Paul is just the vessel. He is just the vessel carrying a valuable treasure. Number two, we learn that Paul is weak and vulnerable, but that doesn't change the value of the treasure. You see, there were people in Paul's life, there were people in the church at Corinth that said, Paul, you're so weak. Paul, you're so frail. You're always in trouble. You're always getting arrested. You're always getting beaten. You're always getting sick. You're so weak and you're so frail. So this message that you contain, there must be something wrong with it. There must be something wrong with your relationship with God. Rather, Paul says, yeah, I am weak. I am vulnerable. But that does not change. That does not change the value of the treasure that I contain. And then the third thing we learn, which is the principle that you're going to see throughout all this text, is that Paul's strength and his power to persevere are not his. They come from the Lord. Look what he says at the end of this text. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Paul knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to be in pain. And he knew what it was like to endure all of that. And he says, the power, the strength does not come from me. I'm just a clay pot. The power and the strength, they come from the Lord. The greatness belongs to him. So in that first verse, we lay out the thesis for the whole paragraph here. And Paul is going to illustrate that in verses 8 and 9. Listen to what he says here. This is amazing. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I'm convinced that one of the greatest words in all of the Bible is but. I really am. In fact, I'm working on a book um, called The Beautiful Butts of the Bible. Because <laughs> I, I really do think it's one of the best words in all of Scripture, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? In which you formerly, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, right? These are beautiful words. And this is an amazing text that says right here, we are afflicted in every way, but not destroyed, but not done in. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? That the reality of our life is suffering and pain and persecution, but it's not the end. But there is hope. But there is help in our time of need. I think it's the most encouraging thing we could possibly hear. And there are two lessons from these verses. Number one is this. The trouble is real. Paul doesn't say, well, I wasn't really persecuted. I wasn't really struck down. I wasn't really afflicted. He says, no, I really was. I really was persecuted. I really was afflicted. The trouble that he speaks of in verses 8 and 9 is real. Turn over to chapter 11 and listen to him articulate a little more clearly the trouble that he faced. Chapter 11, starting in verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I far more, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times, this is incredible, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Most people died 
before they got to 39 lashes. Paul says, I took them five times. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me concerning all of the churches. Paul knew what it was like to suffer, right? And never once does he say those sufferings are not real. But always he puts those sufferings in context. And that's the trick that we need to learn. That's the secret that we need to learn from him. Is that we don't need to deny the reality of our sufferings. We simply need to see our sufferings in the proper context. And we need to treat our sufferings with some good theology so that there is hope in the midst of the sufferings. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. First idea is that the trouble is real. Second idea is that the trouble does not win. The first idea is that the trouble is real. The second idea is that the trouble does not win. The trouble is not the last word. The trouble is not the end of the story. Jesus says it this way, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the way it works for us. And we need to celebrate these kind of statements when Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Man, imagine that. Imagine that for a first century Christian to say, we are persecuted. They are against us. They are taking our friends and our family to jail. They are putting our brothers and sisters to death. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. It makes all the difference, doesn't it? That they can be totally against us, but we're not alone. They can take us to jail, but we are not alone. And Paul knew that, right? He spoke of it in chapter 11. He said, I've been in prison, but not alone. And we need to remember that, not just for the sake of our brothers and sisters back in the first century, but we have brothers and sisters right now who are in that. Persecuted, for sure. Real Serious persecution, but not abandoned, not abandoned. And there is our hope. He says, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Got a friend here in the second row who's a fighter, right? Knocked down, but not knocked out. There's a big difference there, right? There's a big difference between getting knocked down and being knocked out. And that's what Paul says here. We're knocked down for sure. And that's a struggle, but it's not over, right? First lesson is that the trouble is real. The second lesson is the trouble does not win. The trouble is not the final word. One commentator said it this way. God, Paul knew that God had rescued him in the past. He knew that there would be a grand rescue in the future. Right? And we know that too, right? When we are suffering, when we are persecuted, when we are afflicted, when we are struck down, we can in that moment look back in our lives to a time when God has rescued us before. Right? We need to do that every once in a while, don't we? We need to remember that God has rescued us in the past. And we read his scripture and we know that we can look forward to a grand rescue in the future, right? That one day Christ will come and he will deliver us from all of this trouble, right? And he will have the ultimate victory. So we know that he has rescued us in the past and we can look forward to the grand rescue in the future. And because of that, we can trust that he will rescue us now, right? Gives us confidence 
encouraged to push forward now. Because even if we are delivered over to death in the trouble now, it's ultimately our rescue, isn't it? God has rescued us in the past. He will rescue us in the future. And this gives us confidence for the present. Paul, in verse 7, lays out the principle. In verses 8 and 9, he illustrates it. And then in verse 10, he states it again. And listen to what he says in verse 10. Verses 10 and 11. He says, Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What's going on here is something we call synonymous parallelism. Those two verses, verses 10 and 11, are basically exactly the same. Look at it. At the, in verse 10, he says this. He says always. In verse 11, he says constantly. He says the dying of Jesus once, and then he says death for Jesus' sake in the next time. He says once, so that the life of Jesus. And then he says again, so that the life of Jesus. He says manifested in our body. Later on, he says manifested in our mortal flesh. These are two statements that are really exactly the same. And basically what he teaches us in these two statements is that this is what we can expect as disciples of Christ. He says, this is what it looks like to follow after Jesus. We carry around in our bodies, we carry around in our flesh the dying of Jesus. We carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. He says in another way, in another place, we take up our crosses and follow him, right? Isn't that the way Jesus talked about it too? Right? You're not worthy to be my disciple unless you take up your cross and die daily and follow me. This is what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. We carry about death and dying in our bodies. We carry about suffering and persecution in our body. We carry about trouble in our body. Right? That's what it looks like. I don't know how health and wealth guys can read the Bible and still come out health and wealth guys. Right? You read this text, it doesn't sound like everything's going to be rosy and fine, does it to you? Sounds to me like we carry about death. We carry about dying in our lives for purpose. Look what he says next. He says, we don't don't just carry this about so that we can suffer. He says, we carry about this trouble so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul says, the reason why I'm suffering so much is to show you the life of Christ. To show you the power of the resurrection. Listen to the way one scholar said it. He says, if you want to see resurrection work here and now... In your own life. Do you want to see that? You'll see the power of the resurrection in your own life? You want to see Jesus' resurrection power in your life here and now? He says if you want to see that, you have to be prepared to see crucifixion at work as well. This has been the theme all throughout 2 Corinthians, right? I die daily, he told us at the beginning of the letter. I am constantly being subjected to trouble and death. Why? So that you may also see power. So that you may also see hope. So that you may also see endurance. You see, we don't, we don't get that kind of glory. We don't get that kind of glory from health and wealth and prosperity. If everything's rosy and sweet all the time, you don't see the power of the resurrection. But you do see the power of the resurrection when trouble comes and you persevere and God brings hope in the midst of it, right? That's the way it works. I think that's the way it works for our friends on this computer watching us from home. We see lots of glory in that endurance, right? We see lots of glory in that hope. We see lots of glory in that pain. God has purpose for all of that. Caring about the dying of Christ in our bodies so that the life of Christ might shine forth. Caring about the death of Christ in our bodies so that the life of Christ might shine forth. 
We need to be willing to embrace that suffering, embrace that death, so that the life might shine forth. And that's exactly what Paul wraps it up with in verse 12. The way he says it is simple. He says, so, death works in us, but life in you. Death in us, life in you. In the face of his opposition, saying that all of this trouble he experiences is proof that he's not a legitimate disciple. He says, on the contrary, the trouble that I'm experiencing is proof that I'm a genuine apostle. I am following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered greatly, who suffered death in him for life in you. Paul says, why would it work one way for the master and another way for his followers? Why would it work one way for Jesus and a different way for Christians? He says, no, 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 it works the same way. Death in us, life in you. That's the plan for Jesus, right? He came to experience death so that we could have life. And we sign on for the very same process. Three or four applications today, and then we're done. And I want you to listen clearly. Listen clearly to this. It's important. Number one, you're a clay pot. You're a donkey. Do not overestimate yourself. I think we are prone to overestimate ourselves, to think that we are something special, to think that we are a white stallion and we deserve the attention, to think we are a mahogany chest and think we deserve the attention. I want you to hear me clearly. You're just a donkey. (laughs) You're just a clay pot. Do not overestimate yourself. Admit your weaknesses and do not deny them. Admit those weaknesses. Don't deny them. Don't say, oh, I've got everything together. I don't have any troubles. I don't have any problems. I don't have any persecutions. I don't have any weaknesses. No, admit them. Don't deny them. Admit them. Because in those weaknesses, in those areas where you are weak, the strength of God can shine through. through. Embrace your weaknesses as a way for his power to shine through. And be the donkey. Be happy to be the donkey and carry Jesus into every town you go to. You are a clay pot. Do not overestimate yourself. Number two, the gospel is the treasure. The gospel is the treasure. Do not underestimate it. You get this? We have a problem sometimes because we overestimate ourselves and we underestimate the gospel. Stop overestimating yourself and stop underestimating the gospel. The gospel is the light. The gospel is the hope. The gospel is the life. The gospel is the treasure of infinite value. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The gospel is the power that changes men. The gospel is the hope that brings life to dead men, right? The gospel is the thing that changed Saul to Paul, the persecutor to the preacher. The gospel is the message that brought hope to my life, and it is the message that can bring hope to your life. Don't underestimate it. We underestimate the power of the gospel when we think it it cannot change us. There are some people in the room today who feel that way. Oh, I've gone so far. I've done so many things. God's grace couldn't change me. Yeah, it could. It could. I say that with confidence because it changed me. And I'm way worse than you. Way worse than you. You're a clay pot. Don't overestimate yourself. The gospel is the treasure. Do not underestimate it. Number three, your weaknesses are an opportunity for the display of God's power. Weaknesses serve as the grounds for divine power. 
Some of you are weak right now. And this is what got me this morning. Wake up, I can barely talk, I can barely breathe. I'm weak. And I think this is the golden opportunity. This is the golden opportunity in the midst of the weakness for God to display His power. And some of you are feeling very weak right now for one reason or another. Maybe it's just internal, emotional. You're just down. You're just in the dumps. Maybe your life is just overwhelming. You've got so many complications and so much trouble. Maybe your health is failing. Maybe relationships are failing. Maybe you're just struggling in general. You're weak right now. Listen, this may be This may be the way God is going to show his gospel through you as you persevere, as you endure, as you continue to speak the gospel with hope and passion and a smile in the midst of your pain. Don't see your weaknesses as the end. See your weaknesses as an opportunity for God to display his power. After all, we want his power to be on display, right? We don't want to stand up at the end of this and say, look, I had it all together always. Look at the great things I have done. Look at the way I have taken the gospel to the nation. Look at the way I've preached the gospel. No, we want to say, look at what God did. I'm such a mess. I'm such a mess, but look what God did. (laughs) I ruined it so many times, and look what God did. That's what we want to say at the end, right? That's what you're going to see for the rest of 2 Corinthians. You're going to to see Paul say, I embrace my weaknesses as opportunities for the gospel to be on display, for God's power to be on display. And then the last application is this. There is death in us and life in them. Death in us, life in them. The question is, are you willing to be a part of that process? Are you willing to sign on for this death in me, life in you? Death in me, life in you. I'm thankful Jesus was willing to sign on for that, aren't you? Thankful Jesus was willing to say, okay, here's the plan. Death in me, life in you. And we need to follow him in that same mission lay down our lives for the sake of each other. Lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. Lay down our lives for the life of the world. That's what it's all about, right? Following Jesus, really following him, means laying down our lives so that life can come to others. Let's stand together and pray. God, we come before you today and Admit and embrace that we are but earthen vessels, clay pots, weak, limited, frail. And help us not to overestimate ourselves. God, help us to see ourselves rightly in light of your greatness. I pray that you will teach us to embrace weaknesses as opportunities for your power to shine. God, help us to be glad to be the donkey that carries Jesus to the world. God, I thank you for the gospel, the light, the hope, the life, the grace, the forgiveness that you bring through the gospel. I thank you that there's hope for every man, woman, boy, and girl. If they would just repent of sins and believe in you, trust in you. God, I thank you that the gospel is the greatest treasure. I pray that you guard us against underestimating it. Thinking it is weak. Weak for us or weak for them. 
God, help us to know the gospel and value the gospel and preach the gospel. God, ultimately today we are thankful for Jesus who came to die for us so that we might live. I thank you that Jesus took our sins upon himself, suffered your wrath because of our sins. I thank you that he died as a substitute for us. I thank you that he rose again, victorious over our sin and over death and over hell. And I thank you that by your grace, you offer us forgiveness and hope and life in him. God, I pray for men and women and boys and girls in this room that you will convict them of their sin, that you will show them the glory of the gospel, that you will turn their eyes to Jesus, help them see him as their only hope. God, give repentance. God, give faith. God, show your grace and be glorified in it all as we respond to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.